Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Hi, it's AJ Vaden, and thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. You are honestly so lucky to be listening to this right now because you're about to learn from one of the best keynote speakers in the world. And when I say that, I really mean it. And here's how you know I mean it. Connie Podesta, you know, she's a Hall of Fame speaker. She's written seven books. She's been in the business for a long time. But she is one of the people that I actually refer to my speaking clients. So after someone has had me and there's a certain expectation level they have of what they're going to experience, over time, it really becomes hard to find people who you feel like, man, I really trust someone to come behind and do a great job for my clients. And that is Connie. She will make you laugh your face off and then kick you in the pants <laughs> And, you know, she's spoken for all the, you know, the big companies, Microsoft, Harley Davidson, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Cisco. She's also something that I very much am not. She is a great MC, and that's something I try to avoid at all costs, but she is I get just, that. That's hard. <laughs> so anyways, so Connie, thank you for making some time here. And I'm just so excited to pick your brain a little bit about, you know, kind of the keynote speaking career. Yeah, someone called me a legend a while back and I said, I think most legends are dead, but I'll take it. I'll take that term, you know, because <laughs> I think I've been speaking longer than almost anybody still out in the circuit. So I do have tons of things. And I always say that everything I'm going to tell you about speaking is totally true for me. Okay. Doesn't mean it's true for everybody else, but I will be very transparent and authentically honest about what over the past 30 years has worked for me to keep me in the game for 30 years. Yeah, and that's what I want to hear. And I, and I hope you don't mind me saying this. I mean this as a compliment, not offensive in any way. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> but as a speaker, I view myself as pretty like normal, right? Like I didn't win a Super Bowl. I never climbed Mount Everest. Right. I wasn't a Navy SEAL. Like right. I'm, I've never been a CEO of a we Fortune. We have no story. Yeah. We have no story, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, I have stories, of course. Like, you know, I have some parts of my life and things that I shared in that, but I'm not the guy that people go, oh my gosh, he landed the airplane on the yeah. Hudson. I got to hear that right, story. Right, right. And I feel like you're kind of the same way. No, it's, totally. It's really based on like thought leadership, 
expertise, delivery on stage, and not so much like your celebrity, yet you've gotten to a place where you're earning fee, you know, you're in a, a very high fee range and have had such a wonderful career. And so I think a lot of people listening, you know, I think that's inspiring. As much as it's inspiring to hear those people as well, it's kind of going, if you're just sort of like a normal person, how do you get to your level in this business without, you know, having one of those amazing stories? Well, first of all, I think that's kind of one of the problems is the people, for example, that come to me for just coaching, not I don't charge for coaching, but just come to me for mentorship or coaching. You know, they're always like, okay, I'm trying to figure out my story. And I go, well, just stop. I've never had a story in my life. I've never done anything unbelievably outstanding, like you said, scaled a mountain or landed a plane. And the way I explain it to my clients, because I'm often up against a speaker who has this amazingly right uh, in your fee range yes in my fee range and they're trying to decide between the two and the way I always explain it to both my mentorees and the people I'm talking to people now in your audience is there's two ways to look at this one is you can have your story and and it becomes mostly about you you may kind of connected to leadership or to sales, but you have done something so traumatic, so adversarial, so impressive that your goal is to tell that story, hopefully that other people will be motivated. But I always tell my clients when I'm up against someone, well, what's your end game? Do you want their story or do you want me and I will make it about your audience's story? I have no story. Mm. So because I'm not focused on myself, it's not about what I did great or horrible and I want them to learn, my entire focus is on the audience. And my goal is to dig into their story and help Mm -hmm. them take that and add strategies and tools and all of this thing. And because I'm a psychology person, dig kind of deep inside their brain. So I really teach the speakers that come to me, forget your story. Forget thinking you have to have a story. Forget that you need a story. In fact, don't even try because there's people out there with stories far bigger, Rory, than you and I are ever, ever. So for us to even try to do that and instead just say, be honest, I don't have a story. However, your audience has a story. So you can either get somebody with their own story or you can get someone that makes it about your audience. What would you like? Mm-hmm. And would you, it's kind of that, like the positioning of that too, is like, it's not so much about me. It's about what can I share that's really useful for your audience and being yeah. direct, direct to that. Well, I just said yesterday to where it was me and, and another type of speaker. And they said, well, what would you say you've done? That's really amazing. And I said, my goal has never been for an audience to think I'm amazing. My goal has always been for them to leave thinking they're amazing. And and that's two different, you know, that's two different points of view. So do we make it about us or do we make it about the audience? And there's no right or wrong. It's great to have people up there that have a story. But I would like the people watching this to realize most of us don't. But most of us can deliver the tools and strategies about sales or leadership or whatever it is that when they go, their brains are on fire. Like, what am I going to do next? Where am I going to go? And I love it when my audiences, they leave and someone might say, what was the name of your speaker? And they go, I don't remember. That's okay. That's fine with me because they're leaving texting 
And if you ask them what they're texting, like, well, I'm texting my boss because we have to have a meeting and I'm texting my wife because it made me think of this discussion we had. And I'm texting one of my other departments because I think I know how to close a deal. I don't care if they remember my name. Okay. If they want to hire me, they'll go get it off of Google. I want them brains to be so on fire with what they can do, what they can accomplish, what they can go back and change and behaviors and attitudes and mindsets that I'm irrelevant to them. I, that's fine if I'm irrelevant to them because watching them leave with their text and, and calling people on the phone, that's all the feedback I need. Like you're irrelevant as a person, but it's the, the information that has been super duper oh, relevant the to them. Not. <laughs> the information is so, and, and I do some things interactive that they'll be talking about. I tell my clients, I said, I'm going to do some things with them that will create an energy in your audience that will not stop. I mean, it is going to change the next two or three days, how they approach every breakout, how they respond, how they react, whether they're open and more engaged. So I don't just see me as an opening keynote either. I see and I tell my clients, one of my goals and one of my responsibilities is to hand you back. And I've said this, people call me what they say an audience turner. And what that means is, not only am I delivering a presentation, mm -hmm. but my end game is to turn the minds and mindsets of the audience a bit to a place where I can hand my client back. And that's what I say to them. I have the ability to hand you back an audience that's not the same. Wow. And that's why when people say, you know, we want you for a closing, I go, well, what a waste. You know, most speakers want to be the closing because they're thinking of them. Most speakers are kind of thinking of them a lot. So if you're thinking of yourself and marketing, then being a closing is great because everyone's leaving with me on their mind. I don't want to be the closing. I don't care about that. I want to be the one that starts it. And I want to be known for handing the client back an audience that will never be the same. So that every breakout, every session, every lunch, every networking opportunity has been altered for the better as a result of hearing me. And if you're good at doing that, then they aren't just talking about you when they leave. They're talking about you for three days and they're talking about your material and they're applying it, and the event planners see them talking about it, applying it, using it, calling, texting it, raising their hand and breakout, asking questions. And by the end of three days after the event planner sees how valuable and viable all the things you offered were, then it comes back to you. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's a great, what a great mindset to approach it. So I, I want to shift to, you, you brought this up, the interactivity. Because that's another thing, you know, I think that you do so well. It's like you don't have the story, but you're really, really dynamic on stage. And I kind of think of humor as a part of it. But another thing is the, is the interactivity. So can you talk to me about working the audience? Like how important is it to work with the audience? It terrifies me. I personally don't, <laughs> I've never done a lot of it, but it's like, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You kind of lose control of whether or not it'll be funny or staying on task. But how important do you think it is to like interact with the audience? What do you do with the audience? How do you prepare for it? Like just talk a little bit about your strategy for like the actual interaction with the crowd. In terms of how important, I think next to being a professional person that does a good job, it is the absolute most important. Um, to see a speaker that's not interacting with the audience absolutely drives me crazy. 
And I think it goes back to my background. You know, a lot of speakers started in corporate and training and HR and all that, but I didn't. I, I taught high school and I taught behavior problem kids. And then I became a therapist because my students were so in trouble. And well, to be honest, their parents were needed therapy a lot more than students. But so <laughs> taking this psychology, and I've always been funny, thank goodness. I mean, that just I was born with. And so when you look back on my training, you know, whether I had students in my class, or I had clients in my therapy office, it could never be about me. Students don't care about me. They don't care about my life. They don't care what I did amazing. And my clients don't care. If you came to me for marriage counseling, you don't want to sit and hear my amazing signature story about my marriage and how we were down in the depths and went bankrupt. And now look at what all you want me, all students want and all clients want in therapy is it to be 100% about them. But I also learned in teaching high school that I can't lecture. I could not stand in front mm. of a class for 45 minutes and write or use overheads or use slides and expect to keep the attention of a young person. So I learned early on that I hardly ever wrote anything or ever used back then overheads or slides. I would talk and then I would go to a, a student and then I would bring them up in front of the class and then we would tell a story and then we would do a role play and then we would, I mean, I had to, in order to survive in a high school in South Side of Chicago, I had to become full of change and full of variety. And I learned to act out different voices. And if I was teaching English or history, I would, I got them into acting things out. And so when I became a speaker and people started, you know, and I started speaking just to promote my private counseling practice, but I would do the same thing. The beginning days when you're in a rotary club, I would bring guys up and I would do this. And before you know it, everyone's like, she's amazing. And now you know, if someone comes to me for coaching, I take away their slides and I take away their signature story and I take away their lavalier mic and give them a hand tell. Those are the three things I do. And I tell them, I'm not saying you can't go to, back to your lavalier slideshow, you know, stand on stage and talk and don't involve the audience. I want you to experience what it's like to not do what all the other millions of speakers do. Hmm. And it's amazing, Rory, because once they let go of the mic, the lavalier, once they let go of all the slides, once they let go of just standing there and, and vomiting information and, you know, six keys, seven steps, here's what we do. Once they get into the audience and start bringing people up, it's like now I say, okay, well, now you can go back to your saying, oh, no, no, no. Oh, my God, this is more fun than I've ever had in my whole life. Hmm. And it's one of the reasons why I don't do slides because slides means that I've already decided months ago what I'm going to teach this audience. Okay. Or yesterday or two weeks. I never know. And you're right. I love the fact that when I bring people on stage, I have no idea what they're going to say. Most of my great material came from somebody on stage saying something so out of the blue that I never expected, forcing me to have to think on my feet and improvise and come back. And then all of a sudden I'd leave and it's like, that was amazing material. Oh my God, I can't believe I've never done that. But I would never have thought of it had I not been pushed into being outside of my comfort zone and having to react in front of 2000 people. So how do you prepare for that? Like, do you and like, how, how much do you? 
But like, do you, so do you literally walk on stage with no plan of what, I mean, surely you have a plan no, of some, no, no, some no. type. I do. I do a thing with personalities. I kind of know how I'm going to start. I kind of know how I'm going to end. Yes, I have a plan. But I'm not, see, what I didn't like for me, and don't get me wrong, all of you watching that use PowerPoint, bless your hearts. There's no good or right or wrong in speaking. It's what works for you. So again, I'm just sharing what works for me. I used to have slides. Yeah, because I'm and, a, I am a PowerPoint guy and I'm sitting here going, this is terrifying. Like the idea of doing what you're talking about to me is oh my God. absolutely okay. terrifying. So I'm, I'm going to teach you how to do one role play and you are going to <laughs> never, ever go back. I okay, promise. teach me. But I, used, but, a, but I used to have slides. I had slides and I left them on the plane. This was like 20 years ago, okay, when we had the slide deck, the carousel. That's how old I am. And I get in front of 2,000 people. And here I am, I'm an actress, I'm a comedian, I know all this, but you know, slides were in and everyone had their slide deck. And I announced to 2000 people, oh, by the way, I left my slides on the plane. And they all just started cheering, like, yay, <laughs> and clapping. And I was like, wow, you know, I've never asked myself, I know I thought it was cool to have slides, but I never once asked my audience, what mm -hmm. do you think about it? So now I'm getting the feedback. And that was an amazing day. I had no slides. I didn't have structure. See, PowerPoint to me is like being in a cage because now I'm structured. I have to do this slide and that slide and this slide. And if you do go off track, God forbid, now you have to click through five slides and say, oh, I don't have time for those. With no slides and PowerPoint, you can be whoever you want. The audience can be whoever they are. And so I'm very in tune to the audience. So if I'm starting a path that I had outlined and planned in my mind, and I can see the looks on their face, and they're not quite there yet, I just dig a little deeper. If I try something, and I can tell by the looks on their face, they got it. It's in there. I just skip it, and I don't do another story on it, and I move on. So when you have no structure, you are forced to have to look at them and look at their eyes and see the looks on their face and read their interaction and read their feedback. And you're forced to go with the audience, let them direct you rather than you directing them. So it's very much forces you to give up control. So, and so give I up power. Totally. Yeah. And I see that. I see that on the macro level and, and it's like this fun thing and you're reading the audience on a micro level. How do you interact with one person in a way that doesn't become a waste of time for the other 2,000 people? Like, how do you... Because, because that, for me, is the structured part. I know exactly, through trial and error, because I had lots of things happen on stage that I was like, ooh, <laughs> I don't need to ask that question that way because, so now I know, and it does come huh. through practice, I know exactly how to word it. And a couple of things. Number one, a lot of speakers that do role plays on stage, the audience is the one that looks foolish or silly or dumb or doesn't. I don't do that. I'm the one. The audience person is always the one in control. I set it up like that. Like, Rory, you're so-and-so. You're doing this. I'm the employee. I came in late. I have no idea what I'm doing. Let's take it from here. So that's a really big key is to never make the audience look stupid or foolish. Always have it be me. I'm the one that came late. I ask questions very directly. Like, if I were five minutes late 
and I didn't even come to you and say anything and you came to my desk, what would you say? So you have to ask questions that are very narrowly focused. Hmm. And I have people say things that I never expected. Then I'll turn to the audience and say, how many of you would have said that? None. Okay, where did you get that from? And then it just takes off from there. And then we just, we explore that. But no, you're right. I never know what anyone's going to say. They absolutely love the fact that their peers are involved in something and engaged. I go into the audience. That's why I use a hand toe. I use a hand toe. When I see a speaker with a lavalier, I'm like, they're not interacting at all <laughs> because they can't be having people talking into their chest. When I see a speaker with a lot with a handheld, I'm like, they're going to do it because you never want to hand the microphone to a client. Never. You keep the microphone. So if I had brought you up on stage and I asked you a question, I would hold out my microphone and you answer. If you start to answer in a way I don't want, I just take it back and go, oh, no, 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 I don't buy that at all. So with a handheld, you keep control of what's going on. But I would say they are interacting about 80% of the time. So. So you know what questions you're going to ask a person? Like you kind of know, okay, this is the point I want to talk. Let's talk about how do we treat people who come to work late as a leadership yeah. principle. And so you know mm -hmm. there's some principle you, you want to draw out that's related so to- So here's what I do. I would bring you up on stage. I would say, Rory, you're the boss. I'm the employee. I came in 35 minutes late. You have two choices. And I always do. Do you have kids? I do, yeah. Rory? Okay, so we've learned as parents, right? You don't say, what do you want for dinner? You say, or snack. You say, would you like an apple with peanut butter or would you like, we learn early on and that's what I do with my audience. When I'm asking for their feedback, they always have a couple of choices. Uh, so are you going to come to me and A finite list, a finite yeah. list of options. Yeah. So are you going to come up to me and talk about it or do you think you're just going to ignore it because I've never been late before? And then you'll answer one of those two. I know where to go, no matter which of those two you answer. So this so is really I a choose totally your own adventure leading. game. This is really a choose oh, your own totally. adventure game. Yes. So I'm always asking questions where there's a couple of answers. When they answer that, then I ask something else with a couple of answers. So I never know where there's always a myriad of choices, but I'm in control. If you're going to interact well, it has to appear that you're not in control, mm -hmm. but you are. Um, Got it. Okay. So you have like almost like a decision tree if you were going to be a nerd like me and yes, map this yes. out. Yeah, it's no, like a that's decision exactly tree. Right. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh huh. And basically, you know, kind of like a Plinko board or something, you know that all of those routes eventually lead back to the point that you want to make that's related to your content. And then it's just, it's kind of like and fun. And if they there. don't, if they don't lead, if they answer so weird or so strange, I just look at the audience and go, do any of you even get this human being? And they're like, no. And, I, and I'll say something silly, like, what birth order? And they'll say a youngest. And I go, well, yeah, that's why. This is why uh -huh. it's happening. You're the youngest. <laughs> and it, so, but keep in mind, I'm also a therapist. I have all the psychology. So I also have the ability that if it's not going right, to kind of bring it into psychology and why we do what we do. And the other thing that helps, Rory, is I am really funny. And you know, when you're funny, yeah, so, so I want <laughs> you can get away, you can get away with so much. I know, <laughs> I know. And so I want to talk about that for a second, because that's the other thing, right? Like people like me who are not naturally funny, the only way you are funny is when you have written jokes and you've got stories and slides that lead right into a, you know, a planned yeah. thing. 
And so I've how, never told a joke. How do you be funny <laughs> in this like completely abstract like world? This is stressing me out. Well, that part is very structured. Like I do a part with personalities and I have this one group stand and I say, you know, let's give them a hand. This is the absolutely psychologically the hardest working group right now in your company. Well, the people standing, I won't even go into it, but no one in the audience is going to think that. And so everyone's kind of clapping. And then I add, according to them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love that. And then, it, then, it's, then they're all like, oh, yeah, okay. now." And I go, look, you all, you do work hard, but nobody knows it. You don't tell anyone. You don't share anything. You don't, you're not great team players. You know, so if you're going to work this hard, let's get a little credit for it. So those little one kind of liners, like according to them, right. um, you know, but again, that's a funny line, according to them, everyone laughs. So it allows me to really get to the point that this group of people don't share and they don't open up and they're sitting there nodding like, you're right, we don't. But because I'm funny, if, if that was somebody serious and they said, yeah, this group thinks they work hard according to them. I mean, they don't do any, if you were serious and no one was laughing, that could be very hurtful. Mm -hmm. so, so that's, I, that, I, I that's hate. also kind of planned spontaneity though, like just from experience and doing this and you kind of know, like you have a series of little moments to pull from like this catalog in your head that you can when, draw on. When the slides in PowerPoint are gone uh -huh. and the signature story of how you overcame amazing things is gone. To me, and that's why I do that with my speakers at first. I said, you can go back to it, but to me, and this is just me, if you cannot engage an audience and get tons of word of mouth feedback without a signature story and without a PowerPoint presentation, then I think you haven't truly come to grips with what your message really is. Because those two things, the signature story of what we did and the PowerPoint, which is all graphic and this and that, and those two things, I believe as a therapist, is what keeps us from really being authentically who we are in front of an audience of people. If we strip away that, doesn't mean you can't come back to it, but I'd like to see my speakers the old school standing with a handheld mic, looking at a hundred or a hundred thousand people and having a conversation with them, not to them, with them, watching their looks, watching their faces, walking into the audience, being accessible. And again, for all of you watching, I'm not saying, I hope to be honest, Rory, every other speaker uses slides. I hope every other speaker has a signature story. I hope every other speaker never wants to engage. Right. Their this is part of your uniqueness. Uh -huh. because, yes. I mean, my number one selling book is how to stand out from the crowd. When my clients call me now, they start out with, first of all, they're like, you called me back, Connie. Yeah. I don't have a gatekeeper. Don't have an agent. Don't have no one. I'm right. calling you, you back. Talk, you're going to have my cell phone. Clients directly. You're, you're going to have my cell phone. Yeah, you and I are in a partnership. I'm not having somebody else out there. But number two, you know, I want them to know that I want to model to the people in the audience how they want those people to be with their clients, how they want their salespeople to sell, how they want their leaders to lead and manage. 
So I have to model being accessible and being accountable and being in the present and being authentic. And so I've got to show them that it's possible to strip away all of the stuff and just literally have a thousand people think that you're just talking to them. And when people call me, they're like, are you the one that doesn't have any slides or PowerPoint? And I go, yeah. And they go, okay, you called me back. No slides. Our audience is sick of slides. Oh my. So I'm getting calls where that's their first question. You are the one without any slides. And when no one was using slides, I used them because that's how I could stand out. Now that everybody's using slides, I've stopped using because that's now what makes me stand out. And I, I do think one message, whether it's slides or comedy or all of you watching have to be your own unique person. But I go to watch other speakers to learn what I should not copy or not do. I don't go to watch them to learn what to do. And I think if we're going to stand out now, we have to look at what almost all speakers are doing, which means that's what audiences are used to. And all I use is word of mouth. I've never made a cold call. I don't ask for referrals. I don't ask for testimonials. I don't collect business cards. It's totally word of mouth, which means that I'm left with that what I do on stage is my only marketing. It's my only business card. It's my only cold call. Everything is that moment on stage. So it has to be different than anyone else or no one's going to remember it. Mm -hmm. Well, that is very incredible. And, and it's, you know, this has been super interesting to me because I'm trying to go, how could you duplicate it? And what's, you know, the science behind this planned spontaneity and still being able to like, yeah, it is you know, because it's plant and spontaneity. They're still paying you to deliver a lesson and a message oh, yeah. and you've got to make, you got to make sure and you don't, it's not just going up there and jibber John for an hour about nothing. There's a lot of, you know, one of the things I say to them and I say to speakers, I can, you talk about this, you know, if your goal is to connect with the audience and create this relationship, one-on-one -on -one relationship, every time you use a slide, Rory, just think of this, they have to stop that connection with you and they have to turn and look and you have to stop your connection with them and turn, everyone's now looking. Okay, and no one can psychologically read and hear at the same time. It's impossible for a brain to do. So they can't hear what you're saying. They're just reading the slide. And then when you want the slide to be done and come back, you have to reestablish that connection. It takes 15, 20 seconds to do that. And so that's the problem. Okay. See, there's, that's one of your clients calling you right now, Connie, because they're going to talk to you <laughs> directly. Um, and you know what they're going to say? You said you were accessible, and now you didn't even answer your phone. <laughs> yeah, right. But I do want us to end up with, I, want every, I don't want you to get any emails like, I think slides are great. I have a story. Here's how I want to end. All I what? have shared with you is what works for me. And I want everyone watching, if slides work for you and you love it, use them. If a signature story works for you, oh my God, lucky you, because I don't have one. So I just want everyone to listen to an alternative option. There are all sorts of ways to be successful in speaking. You and I have very different delivery styles and yeah. both of us are very successful and our audiences love both of the things we do. I do think that very much that it's like, I am very much a slide and a planned joke and story after, you know, like everything leads 
But the reason for doing that is so that I know that so well that I can depart because what we both have in common, even though it's like I do a lot and I do slides and I do stories, what we both have in common is an absolute focus on the audience, not on ourselves. Totally. Um, mm-hmm. And an absolute focus on creating a meaningful connection in the moment, not just powering through some like pre-planned set of information. And I think that you really do that brilliantly. And this has been really empowering for me because you and I have never talked about this is to go, I think I could do some things that would be more lively and engaging with the audience because knowing like, okay, if I set this up right, there can be some structure to it that still yes. allows for a lot of fun yes. playfulness. And, and I mentor, and you don't need a mentor. My God, you're super successful. But yes, if I had someone like you, not take away slides, not to, you're doing great. You're doing awesome word of mouth. You're doing amazing. But if you came to me and said, Ooh, I would like to just explore. Yeah. Do something fresh, do, do something you, fun. And I've done it with a lot of speakers. They, they don't want, they love their slides. They love everything. And that's great. I always hate it when people start emailing me and defending why well, I use slides. And I go, no one has to defend. I think every way is amazing. However, if there's a little piece of you, Rory, that would just like to have a five minute, just a little something different that you've never tried, then that's where we would start. I would probably take one of your stories or one of the things that you do right now, and you've always done it a certain way, and show you how maybe going into the audience, you could do that same content, that same material, but Mm -hmm. engage somebody in a way that would just And just the fact that you might walk off the stage and talk to someone in the audience is a change of pace for you. And I think the more we can all change our pace, the more variety. One of the reasons why I use a handheld is because I can talk really soft. I can do different voices. I mean, the handheld gives you a lot of experiential advantage in terms of voices. The voice control. Yeah, the voice control component Mm -hmm. of a handheld Mm -hmm. is really... Is really wonderful. And because I do role plays, they need to be heard. And it's not good that they're leaning yeah, over. For sure. <laughs> when I first but that holding, like, you, holding the, you holding the mic, is that's a super helpful tip. Is like you hold it out to them, but you still have it so that if you need to rein it back in, then. Well, um, and I have lots of psychological sentences, things I do on stage where they're going to end it. So I would say a sentence and not say the last line. And all I do is hold out my mic and the whole audience yells the word back. Yeah. You know? So the fact that I hold out my mic, they know that's there and they yell it out and they participate. So that's participation too, just having them be engaged. But I don't do silly stuff. I mean, they're not dancing on stage. That's one rule is if you're going to participate with your audience, they have to look cool and professional. I pull up a lot of leaders and these are their employees and they need to look really smart and really professional and really good. So we can't ever use our interaction. well. Sometimes I make fun of people, but that's where the comedy comes in. (laughs) Well, this is so helpful just to kind of get into the mind of how you've differentiated yourself and some of the things. And and I, I really like the way that you said that there's a lot of things you're talking about, which is an alternative view to maybe the things that you always hear about. And I think that's super refreshing to be like, there's multiple ways to make it in this business. I have so many speakers and they'll say, yeah, I don't have a story, so I can't speak. Oh my God, neither do I. Or, well, I'm just not comfortable with slight PowerPoint. Well, that's fine. I think speakers sometimes 
think that there's a certain and there's like organizations or there has to be a certain yeah, they'll hear people or you have to like i have never had a niche ever niche niche whatever i've never had one i've never gone exclusive you know i don't have an agent i answer my own phone calls i don't market i mean these are all things that the average person you know you have to stay in your lane my lane is if they're breathing and have my feet that's my lane okay <laughs> um, i i would never want to be in one industry but that's me so i love taking what all the other people say a speaker has to do and this is my authoritarian rebellion authority issue person. I like listening to what other speakers say, you have to do this and then just do the opposite. I think that is so much fun and it gets noticed. And thank God that there's event planners out there that are looking for the speaker that does it totally different. So for all of you listening that have that little rebellious streak and you don't wanna just do it the way everyone tells you to, I just want you to know that's okay. It's fine. And there's, there's room for us in this crazy speaker world. Well, there it is, my friends. Connie, where do you want people to go if they want to connect with you? We'll put a link, of course, to ConniePodesta.com. Anything oh, else you want to- that's it. ConniePodesta.com. You'll have my cell. We'll talk. We'll become friends. You'll <laughs> grab a mimosa. I'll grab a coffee, latte. We'll speak. It's no big deal. Just <laughs> anything is fine. Well, thank you for sharing your heart and I think giving us permission to go an alternative route, giving us permission to ditch the things that are rigid, giving us permission to engage with people, focus on them, not ourselves, and just kind of the permission, I think, to have fun and, and also like as speakers to always be pushing ourselves outside of our comfort zone and not just telling everyone else to do that. So I love but that. And also giving them permission that if rigid is comfortable, and doing what they've always done feels right to them, that that's okay too. Okay. Do your thing. Do Do your thing. Do you. Be you. So I love it. Well, thank you, Rory. I love it. Thank you so much, Connie. Always great to be with you and just awesome to get a little bit of a look inside of your mind. So we appreciate it and we'll talk to you later. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free lifetime access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we will get you set up with free lifetime access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation.